It is really good to see you. We are in week seven of our series, Upper Room. I promise you we're almost done with this. If you're like, I'm kind of tired of hearing what Jesus has to say, you might be in the wrong place. But um, we're almost done with this series. So we're going to be tonight in John 16. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to cover the first half tonight. Next week, uh, my good friend David Townsend. Where's David at? He's right over there. Everybody wave at David. Say, hi, David. No, we got to make him feel welcome. Everybody say, hi, David. David is a longtime Crave volunteer. He's seen several groups cycle all the way out, and David's going to be speaking here next week on the back half of John 16, so I'm excited about that. And then we've got one final week before Thanksgiving where we will cover the entirety of John 17 in one go, which is the high priestly prayer of Christ. But tonight, we're going to be in John 16, the first 15 verses. If you did not grab a handout from the back, I want to encourage you to go ahead and do that. We've got Bibles if you need a Bible. Uh, there's pens back there if you need those. Uh, as you are turning in your Bibles to John 16, I will tell you the first four verses are a really good indicator of something we've talked about, which is there were no chapter breaks. This is just Jesus sitting, talking with his disciples because he's actually referring back to what we talked about last week, which is persecution. He says, I've told you these things so you won't abandon your faith. He's giving the disciples both then and now a heads up. Persecution is real and you're going to go through it if you're a faithful follower of Jesus. And so that's kind of where the first uh, part of 16 uh, starts, but we're going to kind of move past that because that ties more into last week. If you jump down into verses 5 and following, uh, Jesus says, I I'm going to go away now. Uh, and he says, you know, you're not even so much worried about where I'm going, you're more concerned about the suffering I've just told you about. And kind of one of the crux verses of what we're going to look at tonight is John 16, 7. Jesus says this to his disciples, in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. And if I do go away, then I will send him to you. Have you ever thought to yourself, it would be easier if Jesus was here in the room? Just show hands. You'd be like, man, if I could just talk to Jesus face to face, I'd feel so much better about things. Okay, yeah, I totally get that. I totally get that. And yet, here is Jesus physically present in the room with his closest friends saying, hey guys, it's better that I leave. Now, we all think, man, if I could just even have five minutes with Jesus, I, I, I would talk to him and things would be different. Maybe I would act differently if Jesus was physically present in the room. We all do this. We act differently depending on who's in the room. If you've ever been in a classroom and a teacher steps out, you know how that classroom instantly can change with no adult supervision. You act differently in a room if your grandma is sitting there. You're going to talk a certain way around grandma in a few weeks at Thanksgiving that maybe, you know, you're going to be more minding your P's and Q's than you would if you're just out with your friends. You might even act differently if a pastor is in the room. And I, I say that as a pastor. And when people find out I'm a pastor, sometimes they're like, oh, I'm really sorry for all the things I've just said. I'm like, bro, I, you don't have to be sorry to me. Uh, it doesn't bother me. But we, we change our behavior depending on who is in the room. And most of us probably feel like, yeah, if Jesus was sitting here in this room, yeah, we'd sit up a little straighter. We might get off our phones. We might stop talking. We might laser focus. And the reality is God is in this room. We believe that is what Scripture teaches. And Jesus says, it's better that I leave so that I can send the advocate. Now, what is an advocate? Who can tell me? What does that word mean? Right here, Mr. Gary. An attorney. An attorney? Okay. An advocate. Peter. A representative. a representative. Okay. An advocate. Somebody else. A supporter, Sarah. Someone who speaks on your behalf, yeah. 
all of those instances that you guys gave were good, but, but Sarah's kind of at the essence of what I'm looking for. An advocate is someone who fights for you, someone who is on your side. And I just know enough about the human heart that I'd be willing to bet probably half of us in this room don't view God as someone who's on our side. Because of the things you've done, because of your spiritual laziness, you go, God's not really for me, but the Bible actually says he is. I think a lot of us, we view God as some kind of cosmic police officer who's waiting to give us some kind of spiritual ticket. This is a speed trap, this picture. Have you ever encountered a speed trap? So cars coming from the direction of this truck, they can see this guy clearly. But everybody going the opposite way, you can't see him. There is no terror in the world like driving down the road and you look back and realize, I've just gone through a speed trap. You instantly are like, how fast was I going? Probably too fast. And you will begin to barter. God, I'll give you my firstborn child. Please, anything, anything to not see those blue lights come on. It's terrifying. Speed traps, they exist. And they're not fun. And some of you think that's how God works. That he's just lurking around the corner waiting to come down and bam, drop some hellfire and brimstone on you and condemn you. He's not the cosmic morality police looking to just bust you. That verse says that I'll send the advocate, someone who is for you, someone who's on your side. If you were to go look in the Greek, that word is paraclete. Everybody say paraclete. You just learn Greek. You go home tonight, your parents are like, did you learn anything at church? I learned Greek. Get on my level, mom. Paraclete. That word can be translated advocate. It can be translated comforter. It can be translated encourager. It can be translated counselor. Now, on your handout tonight, you see I, I got a box, and it says the Holy Spirit. And my thought for you tonight is maybe just as we're talking about the Spirit, which is kind of our focus, you could jot down some of these things about the Holy Spirit because we talk a lot about God the Father. We talk a ton about Jesus the Son. We don't focus on the Spirit a lot because, again, we go, man, if I could just be with God face to face. But you can you can be in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, a comforter, an advocate, an encourager, a counselor. And I just want to ask you, when you think about those words, does that sound like somebody who's trying to bust you? Someone who can comfort you when things are hard, someone who can counsel you through the difficult times? Does that sound like someone who's just trying to bust you? I don't think so. Now, if you continue down, as Jesus says, it's better that I go. I'm going to send you the, the counselor, the comforter, the encourager, the Holy Spirit, Verse 8 says, when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And so you might read that and be like, ooh, Kev, you were wrong. He's coming with a hammer. And I would point this out. I think there's a distinct difference between conviction and condemnation. I think sometimes when we are confronted with the things we've done wrong, we go to this place of guilt and shame and we just beat ourselves up. And we don't have to raise our hands to see who beats yourselves up because I'd be willing to bet almost everybody in this room. You will replay conversations that you wish would have gone differently, whole interactions where maybe you stood on the sideline, but you know you could have stepped up, but you didn't. Some of you lay awake at night just replaying all of your mistakes, all of your sin, all of your struggles, and you're living, you're living in guilt and shame. And I would tell you, those things don't come from God. Now, the Holy Spirit brings conviction but I think conviction works more like a mirror. God holds up for us, hey, here's what's right. 
And you can juxtapose what you've done versus what God says is right. And I think God allows us to draw some of those conclusions. Again, Holy Spirit is a counselor. A counselor, if any of you have ever seen a counselor, they're going to help you work through some of that stuff for yourself. They're not going to tell you, all right, let me tell you all the things you need to do. They're going to ask questions. They're going to probe. They're going to try to push beneath the what into the why. And I think that's where we encounter conviction. And if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, more on that in a minute, you've experienced that. Sometimes instantaneously, like you say something, you're like, hmm, shouldn't have said that. That's not what God wanted me to say. That's not how God wanted me to react. I had a buddy call me last night. We're dealing with some stuff amongst our friend group. Surprise, even as an adult, friends still sometimes have garbage to work through. And I was hot. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was, I was not happy. And when he called me to talk about it, I was even less happy. And so I did the very mature thing, which is I dug in and became more stubborn and refused to give any ground. Can anybody identify with that or is it just me? Okay, thank you, the handful of you. Like, you know you're wrong. You're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be more wrong because now I'm just mad. And I dug in and we went round and around for 20 minutes. And then he's like, I don't even know what I'm asking you to do. I was like, well, I don't, then why'd you even call me? Very mature from your pastor. And I, we got off the phone. I was sitting there thinking about it. Uh, I went to bed and I was laying there thinking about it and I was just like, I didn't handle that well. And I'm saying this to you now, I haven't called the guy. Like I didn't have this deep emotional moment today where I was like, I should call him and repent and apologize. I haven't done that yet. I'm working some of this out right now here in front of you to say, this is part of Holy Spirit conviction. God gently nudging and pushing going, hey, this was not what I would have you to do. And it's not shame, it's not guilt, I'm not going to go just beat myself up over it, but I am going to process through it, because I think that's what the Holy Spirit calls us to do. I want to share a couple quotes with you uh, tonight. This one comes from A.W. Tozer. Uh, he's a theologian. Uh, he's been dead for a long time, uh, about 60 years, actually. Uh, and I want you to see that what he says from over 60 years ago, I think, is incredibly applicable today. He says, we may as well face it, the whole level of spirituality among us is low, I think we can see that in our world, and honestly, we can see that even in this room sometimes. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateau, plateaus in the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We love to do that. We love to look around and go, hey, I, I, it could be worse. I could be him. At least I'm not doing what she's doing, right? And so we measure ourselves by ourselves, and we just go, well, what, what role does God really have to play in this? We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord, and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Ghost. That sounds like somebody might have written that like last week. And that should just go to show you there's nothing new under the sun according to the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been doing this for decades, for centuries. And he says what we do is we start chasing these things that aren't God and we settle for a cheap knockoff, for a fake, instead of pursuing the Spirit. Think about this, and you'll talk about this more in small group tonight. Like, do you want the Holy Spirit to lead and guide your life? The easy Sunday school answer is, oh, of course. But do you? Because the Holy Spirit, when he really comes in and starts moving and starts working, things change. And it's not always comfortable. Sometimes there's difficult conversations. Sometimes there's things that have to go. Sometimes there's people that have to go. Like the Holy Spirit, when he comes in, he can turn the whole room upside down. And you go, well, I mean, 
Everything's pretty good. Maybe I'll just settle for what I got. And I'm just telling you, the things of this world have nothing on the things of God. When the Holy Spirit comes in, you can be empowered. In fact, Luke, recording the words of Jesus in Acts 1-8, says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Do you feel empowered by the Spirit? What would that even look like in your life? If you walked out of here tonight and you went into your schools tomorrow, empowered by the Spirit to be a witness for Him, what would that look like? What would change? Is that true for you right now? Do you feel like you're living a Spirit-powered life? Are you just kind of doing the best you can on your own? Are you just kind of doing your own thing? Maybe you don't believe that power is available to you, like that's reserved for missionaries or pastors or worship leaders. It's just not true. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you realize that all of you together, all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you. This idea of the presence of God is huge throughout the Bible. In the old school Old Testament, God resided in the... Before the temple... The tabernacle. Think about like a, it was a portable thing that the Israelites took with them wherever they went. And they believed this is where the presence of God dwelt. And then eventually, someone built the temple. Who built the temple? Solomon. Mr. Gary, that's right. David thought it would be him, but God said, no, it'll be your son. So Solomon built a temple. And they believed that's where the presence of God resided. And it was a huge thing. In, in fact, in the most holy of holies, that's what they called it. In the very, very back, you see this curtain that they've got in, in this picture. That back room, there's four pillars and there's a curtain that was 60 feet high and four inches thick. And only one person could go in there one time a year, the high priest. No one else could go in. And when he went in, they would tie a rope around his leg just in case God decided to strike him dead. No one else could go in there to get him because they'd probably join him. And so they would pull him out. That was the most holy of holies. And they believed this is where God dwelt. It's where they kept the Ten Commandments. It was the holiest place. And the temple was so sacred. And they believed this is where God resides. And the really, really cool thing, if you go study about when Jesus died, as he took his last breath, you can read about the earthquake, you can read about the sun. But what we sometimes overlook is it says that this veil in the temple was torn from the top down. It's a 60-foot tall veil. It wasn't like somebody accidentally tripped and ripped it. God ripped that veil, symbolizing that now he is here among his people. And that verse in 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that the Spirit of God can live in you. Not just me, because I'm a pastor. You. If you follow Christ, the Spirit of God is available to you. I've heard it said that the, the one word you can use to summarize all of Scripture is Emmanuel. It means God with us. You'll hear this word more and more in the next couple of weeks as we move into the Christmas season. We think about God with us, God with Adam and Eve in the garden before everything went sideways, God with his people in the wilderness leading them during the day as a pillar of clouds and a pillar of fire at night. We think about with his faithful servants, Shadmach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he was in the fire with them as they went through things. We think about God with us, in the form of Jesus. Jesus did not have to come, but he chose to willingly. He took on flesh and came to be among us. And the Spirit of God chooses to come and live 
inside of us. Emmanuel, God with us. I want to read you another quote from A.W. Tozer. We talked about him earlier. He said this, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Pastor Perry talked about this this morning. Guys, we can come in here and have great music and cool lighting and your friends can be here and we can have great guest speakers who are way better than me. Like, oh, wow, rah, 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 it's great, it's great, it's great. And we can leave God completely out of it. And I worry about that sometimes. But we just come to hang out. We just come to see that cute boy, that cute girl. Maybe you like the band or maybe you think I'm a good speaker. Like, you can do all of that and leave the Holy Spirit out. And that's not what we're called to do. We're called to embrace the Spirit. In fact, further down in our primary passage, John 16, 3, Jesus says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. It's a touchy, tricky thing today. What is truth? Who gets to define what is true? We believe that God does. Now, society has different ideas of what's true and what's right, and it seems like to me that the goalposts keep moving. But God says, I get to decide, and I get to determine. you got to decide, will you bring your life into alignment as the Holy Spirit leads, as the Holy Spirit convicts? I'll share with you another theologian, J.I. Packer. He wrote a great book called Knowing God. He wrote a lot of books. But he says, the Christian's life in all its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness, is supernatural. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your life can be supernatural because of the Holy Spirit? I don't know that we believe that. You might believe it for somebody else. I don't know if you believe that for you. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. So apart from Him, not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, there'll be no believers and no congregations at all. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit can do something powerful inside of your life? I hope that you do. I hope that as we've studied some of this today that you'll hear that. Uh, We don't have time to turn and read all of this, but I would like to encourage you, jot down this reference, Romans 8. The Holy Spirit shows up over and over and over and over in Romans 8. Romans 8, 2 says that the power of the life-giving Spirit freed you from sin. So like you weren't smart enough to get out yourself, the Spirit did that. Romans 8, 5 and 6 says that the Spirit controls your thoughts and that leads to life and to peace. If you're not living in submission to the Spirit and you wonder, man, why is my life a wreck? Why do I have no peace? It's right there, Romans 8, 5 and 6. Romans 8, 9 says that the Spirit of God lives in you, reaffirming what we've already talked about. Romans 8, 10 and 11 says that the Spirit gives life. It's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We sing that. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me. You've heard us sing that. Do you believe it? Romans 8, 14 says to be led by the Spirit is to be a child of God. Romans 8, 15 says to have received the Spirit is to be adopted by God. I don't know if you've ever looked at your family and been like, man, this is what I got. I didn't choose them, but this is what I got. That's why I think adoption is so beautiful. I know a ton of people who have adopted. There's people in this room whose families have been a part of that. There's something I just think so beautiful to look at somebody and say, hey, I choose you to come be part of my family. And God says, I do that through my spirit. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, when you don't know even what to pray, you don't know what to do, everything is falling apart. The Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf and prays for you. It's a weird theological concept, right? That God's going to pray for you, but he does. 
He does. That's something that the Holy Spirit does. So, like I said, check out Romans 8 at some point for yourself. I'm going to invite the band to, to come on up. And as they come, I, I want you to see the verse that I put on the handout for you tonight. 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, For the Lord is the Spirit. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Holy Spirit of God is not some mystical ball of energy. The Holy Spirit of God is God. The same as the Father, the same as the Son. And if you have a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. I believe that. You know, we use that language of like, come into my heart. And you start thinking about some of that. And you're like, well, that's weird. Like, does the Bible say that? Where do we get this concept? We believe that the Holy Spirit can indwell you. He can guide you. He can counsel you. He can comfort you. He can encourage you. He might convict you. In fact, not might, he will. But the Holy Spirit wants to move in your life. So we, we do a song at the end, and I've said this before, not to try to have some emotional reaction, not to try to like manipulate you or something, but this is a time for you to talk to God. And we believe that God the Father is in heaven and Jesus the Son sits at his right hand. We believe the Spirit is here in this room. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere. And I think that's why Jesus said, hey, it's better that I go. I am in this body, and I can be in one place at a time, but if I go, the Spirit can come and be everywhere. He's all-powerful. And so we're going to pray, and I'm going to pray that the Spirit would just move inside of hearts and minds. If you would pray that with me, I think that'd be great. Pray it for yourself, but if you're sitting there, you're like, I know God, everything's good in my life. Would you pray it for somebody else? Let's do that now. God, Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross in our place. Jesus, thank you for rising from the dead and sending your Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, we invite you into this time to just move, to speak to us, to whisper to our hearts, to guide us, to counsel us, to encourage us, maybe even to convict us. We want to bring our lives under your authority. So move in this time. Holy Spirit, we love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray.